not to be disrespectful or in any way sacrilegious, but what have I, what would have happened had I said in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father? <laughs> Why did that strike us as minimally strange? Word order means something, doesn't it? We get used to words happening in a certain order, and then that's the way we like things. Years ago, I used to like to play table tennis at this park by where I grew up. Maybe 10, 12 years old, and. The girls used to congregate there as well. So that was half the motivation. <laughs> I had decided that I was going to do what was fashionable at the time to let little girls know that little boys were interested in them. So I went home and I practiced. And I got the phrasing and which words I wanted to use. And then one day I'm there playing table tennis. My friend says, here they come. So I went to the door, I blasted to the door and I said, you don't know how look you good. <laughs> the look on that girl's face, she felt sorry for me. <laughs> she didn't think I was odd, but she was gracious enough to say, that's okay, Jimmy, I got your point. <laughs> Words seem to matter. How many of you were here a couple of weeks ago when a San Diego professor named Helen Bobber, taught the adult ed. It was quite interesting. She's a philosophy teacher. And she approached the Trinity not from a religious context, but from a philosophical one. And what she did is she saw how that word was used over, you know, throughout history to affect politics, economics, and even philosophy. So the philosophy caught my ear, and I wanted to go up and talk to her, because I read a lot of philosophy. I merge philosophy and theology and think they're on the same continuum. So I go up smiling, and I go, well, you know, I read, and I rattle off these names of philosophers I read. She looked at me, and she goes, oh, Germans, they use too many verbs. <laughs> I can't read them, they just use too many verbs. My point, my point is, we're addicted to words. Our culture, we're addicted to words. We love words. We nuance words, we look at words, and we use them in all kinds of different contexts. Some words we dismiss, they have no meaning to us. Other people use them and they just go right by. Some words we avoid. We don't want to touch those, right? Some words we embrace. Some words confuse us. The Trinity is one of those words, isn't it? The Trinity, <laughs> that's a tough theological concept. I don't care how many the theology books or philosophy books you read, you're still going to be confused at the end of the day. Because people come out with 
Oh, it's hierarchical. Uh, the Father sends the Son, and the Son sends the Spirit. Other people go, oh, no, no, no. They're co-equals, and they're, they're in this reciprocal relationship, continually going around with each other, and, and it's more of a cooperation. And others go, no, they have, they have absolute, strict, specific roles. So each one is functioning in a role independent of the other. That's quite a lot, isn't it? Chew on that for a while. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning that as we talk about the Trinity, you're forgiven to say it's a mystery. Hold on to that, and you will be one of the best theologians walking the planet. <laughs> because it is a mystery. I've been doing this 25 years, and it's still a mystery to me. One of our other words this morning was spirit. And in a sense, that's another mystery, isn't it? We use that word in a lot of different contexts. The spirit of. Your spirit. The spirit. And every time we use the word, the hearer hears something quite different. And oftentimes it's even different from your intention. My ordination is in a Pentecostal denomination called the International Church of the Four Square Gospel. You've probably not heard of that, have you? How many of you have ever been to a Pentecostal service? Well, then you're going to know what I'm going to talk about. Julaine and I were at a pastor's conference several years ago, and we were in line to receive prayer. And I'm standing about in the middle, maybe six or seven other pastors on the other end, to my right. And this person, a good friend named Dean, is going to pray for all the pastors so we can go back out in the field and do our work. So at the time, it was fashionable in our circles for people to put their hand on your forehead. And once the hand was there, people would either shake a little, others would fall over, because they were under the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Can you picture that? Okay. So I'm standing there waiting for prayer. And I look to my right, and Dean's coming down, and he puts his hand on somebody. They act appropriately. <laughs> then the next person, Dean comes and puts his hand on her. She does a little bit, but she doesn't. Then the next person, the next person, he comes to me. He puts his big mitt on my forehead and pushes. Nothing. He pushes again. Nothing. He pushes a third time. Nothing. He finally looks up at me, and I think he could see in my eyes that I was telling him, I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying right where I am. I'm not falling one inch. I don't care how hard you push. Now, the, the reason I'm bringing that up is not to disparage uh, the practices of any religious body, because it's all well and good. The point is this. I had thought about beforehand what I was going to do. I thought beforehand what he was doing. I thought beforehand what the spirit could do. 
And because of my thinking, I may have missed a chance for the Spirit to do what it was the Spirit wanted to do. You see, sometimes you, you can't think your way through spiritual things. That's why some spiritual things confuse us, because we're too busy thinking about them. The reading today said the Spirit wants to lead us to things. Well, how can the Spirit lead us to anything if we've already thought about where we're going? That's kind of difficult, huh? If we've already made up our mind what it is we're going to do and not do, there's really no room for the Spirit, is there? I have a friend in, in, in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. He's a pastor. I met him when he was at a church called Calvary Chapel. And then he took a job at, no, actually he started coming to the church where we were working at, which was a small Baptist church, American Baptist church called Suncoast. Julian and I were called to the Washington, D.C. area to uh, pastor a church there, and Wayne took my place. Wayne is a professional musician. You know how much money professional musicians make? Well, the majority of professional musicians. All right. Most of them have to, to uh, they have to find other ways to, to make ends meet. So this guy, he taught in a music store. He's a jazz guitar player, quite good, quite dexterous, and he decided he was going to be a music teacher. So in the music store where he was teaching, one day he noticed a couple. And they were being waited on by another store employee. But something told him, go insert yourself into this, uh, this transaction. See what's going on. So he walks over and he stands by and he listens to what's going on. And the, the, this woman's explaining, well, my son's a saxophone player and he needs this, that. And Wayne inserts himself and says, I'll take care of this. So it turns out the son is blind. Wayne speaks to the son, develops a relationship right there on the spot Right in this music store, he decides he's going to talk to this person named Jeff. He talks to him. A little while later, he realized Jeff likes jazz. Wayne says, why don't you come bring your saxophone and come play in one of my jobs? He invites Jeff into his world. The next thing you know, Jeff is playing saxophone with Wayne. Jeff has a few problems in his life, and Wayne says, Jeff, why don't you come live with me until everything gets sorted? So here is this kind of suave, cool jazz guitar player, single man out doing what single guys do when they play in bars, and he invites a blind guy into his house that he knows very little about. Jeff lived with Wayne for two and one half years. All because of this one day, Wayne said he felt that the Holy Spirit had told him to go and insert himself in a transaction that wasn't really even his job. His job was a music teacher. He had nothing to do with store sales. 
And he said, I saw someone who was needy. I saw someone who was lonely. I saw someone who needed help, and I offered help. Now, one of the words that, that was in the reading today was suffering. And that's one of the words we don't like. We don't like suffering, do we? Our culture, what we talk about is, well, as, let me back up. As a pastor, many times I've stood by the door welcoming people into the church. And how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. Well, how are you doing? I'm fine. And then you ask the next question, how are you really doing? And they go, well, not as fine as I first told you. Why is that? Because our culture prides itself in maintaining composure even in the middle of hard times. We're more like the Stoics. This guy Seneca, he was a Roman philosopher at the time of, uh, contemporary of Jesus. And he, he talked about suffering and he said, you know, it's really in your head. It's in your imagination. Because when you, you're not really suffering, nobody really suffers. If you give in to it, you give it power. You heard that? But suffering is real. Our, our reading today says that suffering has a positive element to it, that it allows us to endure, to gain endurance, and in our endurance, we get hope. That's kind of neat, isn't it? Something we see as a negative is actually a positive. And something else it does is give us an opportunity to insert ourselves, like Wayne, in the lives of others. You see, one of the ways we look at the Trinity is, is this, this reciprocal, this continual reciprocal action of giving and taking, giving and taking, and giving and taking. And if we're ever going to emulate or imitate how the, how the Trinity operates, we have to be open to others coming into our life to help us. And on the other side of the equation, we have to be willing to insert ourselves in the lives of others to help them. And when we do that over and over, not only do we gain strength, but the church gains strength. But in order to do that, we have to be kind of honest people. And we also have to not think through what it is we expect from others and what we expect to do for others. You know, one of the problems when, we come, when it comes to trying to help someone that you see in need, we, we read how they should be suffering. We tell them what it is they need and how it is they should be helped. But the better way to do it is to ask them what it is they need and then make, be ready to say, yeah, I can do that. Had Wayne thought about, had he walked up to Jeff and looked at him and looked at the condition of his eyes, it would have been easy for him to think He's being helped. I need to go back to my room and prepare my lesson for my next student. But that's not what happened. 
he opened his mind and his heart to the spirit, and the spirit said, get involved, get involved. And because of that, Jeff, well, not only did he become a friend of mine and Joanne's, but we saw him grow in his music and as a man and as a human being because somebody listened to the spirit and said yes. If we think about what the Spirit's saying to us, it's going to sound kind of mysterious and kind of, eh, I don't know about that many times. And so the typical response is to say, no, I'm not going there. That sounds a little bit too, uh. The reading today said that the Spirit has been given to us so that God's love has been poured out not only into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, but so that we can follow the Spirit. You know, thinking about all the wonderful things God does is great. God does some awesome things, does he? That's, but following the Spirit is a little bit harder. It's easier to believe that God in, inserts himself into our lives and the lives of others, but it's more difficult to think he might insert himself into our lives for the lives of others. Does that make sense? Oftentimes we feel inadequate. We feel it's wrong to impose on others. But God says the Spirit comes into our heart so that not only we can receive God's love, but so that we can give God's love. And if we only receive God's love and let it stop there, God's love will never be in all the places that God desires his love to be. If you allow the spirit into your heart and you hold on, you hold on to that spirit. You hold on, you hold on. You'll find that God's love for you is there. The spirit's not going to be doing a lot of goofy things. He's going to be loving you and letting you know the depth and width of God's love. Once you allow the Spirit into your heart, you will always be able to ex experience God's love because it never, ever leaves. Does that make sense? And the neat thing about that is that God's love through the Spirit will always be with you through times of hardship, through times of frustration, and even during times of doubt, the Spirit is there to lead you. So let's say that one more time. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit. Amen.